Hello, and welcome to Workforce Insights Will Employ Milwaukee podcast. I'm Shaitania Brown, President and CEO of Employ Milwaukee, the local workforce development board serving Milwaukee County. These past two years have forced us all to take a serious look in the mirror and reevaluate those things that are essential to our well being. Everything from health and wellness to in person versus virtual event attendance to career options have all been reassessed. And when you throw the great resignation, which saw record numbers of individuals leaving their jobs to explore new employment and career opportunities into the mix, you really get a good picture of the disruptive environment we've been trying to work through. Amongst this search for self-improvement and enhanced employment prospects, there's a viable and financially stable pathway to career success, better known as registered apprenticeships. They are often associated with the construction and manufacturing sectors, However, registered apprenticeships have been gaining steam and expanding to other sectors as well over the past few years and provides an alternative pathway to livable and high-wage jobs. And need I repeat, high-wage jobs. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my two favorite apprenticeship men who both have extensive backgrounds and experience in this registered apprenticeship space. They will share insights and perspectives on the benefits of apprenticeships, We have David Polk, who currently serves as as the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development Director of Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards. And we also have Joshua Johnson, David's predecessor in that role, and who's currently the director with the Jobs for the Future Center for Apprenticeship and Work-Based Learning. Hey, guys, thank you for joining me today. So I must say, before I dive into the questions for each of you, I am a believer in the power of apprenticeship. I'm excited that you can join and share with our audience why I'm a believer in the power of apprenticeship, because I know that it works. So I've prepared questions for each of you, and I'll go and I'll ask the questions, but I might solicit feedback from from one of you. So just so you know, we might go a little bit off script here, (laughs) but I'll start with you, David. Um, You have extensive background in apprenticeship, including your current new role as the director of the Department of Workforce Development's Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards. Can you tell our listening audience, what does that entail? Yeah, thank you for the invite. Firstly, Shaitania, Um, as bureau director uh, for DWD, my role is the oversight of policy with regard to apprenticeship. So there are certain guidelines that guides how apprenticeship is, is uh, purported outward to the rest of the state, certain rules. And, and my office helps to put together and enforce those rules for the rest of the state to follow with regard to apprenticeship. Okay, okay. So having overseen apprenticeship programs in both the public and private sectors, what are some of the differences in your approach to program development for each of the two? Because people oftentimes get them mixed up or don't quite understand. So can you tell our audience, what's your approach to these? Well, one of the things that I love to do in my previous role, I was given a lot of autonomy to be very creative in, in how I built apprenticeship programs. And that being said, we were able to do some creative things like incorporating actual college classes, actual associate degree and technical diploma classes into apprenticeships so that the, the, the apprentices themselves are getting immediate college credit and they have a pathway up through the education system if that's a route that they would like to go. Now on the flip side, 
uh, now that I'm a bureau director, uh, it's not as, uh, it's more so the rules with regard to apprenticeship. There's still some creative things that I, I can do uh, in, in this role um, and very creative outreach that we're doing to try to get more steam behind apprenticeship, get populations that are not mm -hmm. akin to apprenticeship, don't know the details and what it entails. So we're doing a lot of creative things with outreach to try to get out to those communities. Mm -hmm. and, and I just want to throw this in here. Um, I know, David, in your former role, you were able to be part of the German group who, you know, Germany has lots of apprenticeship programming. And, and I know we've been talking a lot about how do we bring some of that modeling um, here to the state of Wisconsin. So, so what would you say that adds value to what we're doing, both in the public and private, and how can what we're doing be better by looking at a model such as the German model? Yeah, so the, the German model is really interesting. Uh, one of the reasons it's so interesting is because it starts so young. Mm -hmm. You know, by, by age 16, you're already started in your pathway into apprenticeship and in, into, into your career path. Wow. So that's very different than what we do here in America, where our average age of apprentice is 28 years old. Mm -hmm. Their average age of apprentice is like 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. So it, it, wow. it's very, very different. And on top of that, they have well over 300 different apprenticeships. So wow. everything from your local police officer or uh, what well, we do firefighting apprenticeship here, but everything from your local police officer, your, your, uh, your baker. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the tour guides that we had in Germany, she had done an apprenticeship in event planning. Mm. So there's literally everything is apprenticeable uh, in, in Germany. And that gives us a lot of ideas to bring mm -hmm. back here on other career paths that can be apprenticeable careers. And, and that's good to hear you say that, because my next question deals with young people and, and just how we traditionally have have steered young people. So for many years, you know, young people, including job seekers, have steered away uh, from apprenticeships and really people have promoted them toward achieving a college degree as their best option for financial stability. Um, however, the apprenticeship route um, can be just as financially beneficial, if not more so in the long run with no debt <laughs> to right. limited debt, depending on what you do. So in your estimation, why have apprenticeships not been promoted as heavily as a college degree and, and you know, um, the means to a viable financial security for employment? I, I think that I'll, I'll be transparent with you you know, when you start to speak of apprenticeship, the first thing that comes to mind is trades careers, yeah. right? That, and, and to be honest, that's where apprenticeship started here in Wisconsin and, and, and all over the world, to be, to be frank with you. When you start to compare that to the paths of, of four-year college, the careers are, are just aren't sexy. You know, mm -hmm. they, they just don't jump off the page like other careers. So I'm, a, I'm a licensed plumber, and I very rarely talk to a young person that is growing up saying, hey, I want to be a plumber when I grow up, right? Mm -hmm. But everyone on this podcast knows how much money plumbers can make in their career and how, many, how it, it can open the doors to entrepreneurship. Right. Um, so to be honest with you, I think that the apprenticeship 
apprenticeship because it's associated with the trades are just not those sexy careers when you start to talk about four-year college and going on to be a lawyer or a doctor. Those are the things that that young people rattle off when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up. Um, but I want to change that mm-hmm. under my tenure because apprenticeship is expanding far outside of the rudimentary trades that it is associated with. We're, mm-hmm. we're in places like IT, we're in healthcare. Those are all apprenticeable careers and we have apprenticeships associated with that with those career paths. So I, I think we we have to break that uh, that mythology around apprenticeship mm-hmm. that it's only around the trades mm-hmm. and and start to go into what career paths are, are associated with those other with those other careers. We we kicked off a uh, a medical lab technician apprenticeship uh, last week. Mm. A, it's sorely needed. You know, when we when we were amidst COVID and you had to take a test or you had to go and take get blood work or whatever that is, those medical lab technicians are the ones that are taking your samples mm-hmm. and testing them to get the results that's needed for your doctor or, or to report out for a job or whatever the case may be. Those are medical lab technicians. So mm-hmm. In that conversation, they are sorely needed. We need more and more because of all the health tests that we have to take now. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a career where you know you go to work in in sneakers and uh, I forget the get up that that nurses use. I forget the terminology for it, but that's their that's their uniform, right? You know, it's not overalls and a bucket of tools like one would think of, like a plumber myself. So those sexy careers do exist within the within the apprenticeship also. And I think that's one thing we need to say out, you know, more outwardly. Oh, I was just about to say that. So that based on what you said, we need to make apprenticeship more sexy and appealing, you know, to people. So just thinking about the residual effects of the pandemic and one being the great resignation where people left their jobs for different opportunities. Has there been any increase in job seekers pursuing the apprenticeship route or, you know, that's still out yet to be determined? I think that there has. And Mm -hmm. the reason that I say that is because there's more employers seeking out the apprenticeship model, knowing that they can take a person that would be considered a novice in the career path and skill them up pretty quickly and pretty succinctly via the apprenticeship. Um, so I would say there's absolutely more apprenticeships available now that we're in post-COVID. Of course, one of the reasons is because there's so many jobs to go around and not enough people. Mm-hmm. And because of that, more employers are seeking out the apprenticeship model, which makes more apprenticeships available to those that would like to seek that route. And, and thinking about more employers seeking out apprenticeships as options, um, does apprenticeship offer any particular advantages to underrepresented populations or people who may have a criminal background? Does apprenticeship offer any advantages to certain populations? Without a doubt, it does. Um, and the reason being is that, you know, here in Wisconsin, our journey worker certification carries weight across the nation. You mm-hmm. know, when you go out of state and, and you start to to say, you know, I went through an apprenticeship in Wisconsin, you, you're, you're deemed very high in your respective career. 
um, and uh, for people from underrepresented backgrounds, because you have a transferable credential, because you can move around and say, hey, I took an apprenticeship in Wisconsin and this is what I learned, that affords you more opportunity and affords mm-hmm. you and your family more opportunity uh, because of that credential, because it's so well-respected. Um, the other thing is Wisconsin, because we do registered apprenticeship, you know exactly what a person should know upon them completing their apprenticeship right. because it's root of, there's, a, there's a baseline for everyone going through a certain apprenticeship of things that they should know. And we, as, as the Bureau, try to enforce that employer's baseline of instruction and baseline of competencies. Um, so there's absolutely um, benefits for underrepresented communities. The other thing is, like I said earlier, it's a pathway to entrepreneurship. Once mm-hmm. you have that skill set and, and, and you know what you're doing, you have that baseline skill set, you can go out and work for yourself very easily. Right. Yeah, I think about a, I graduated from uh, Milwaukee Trade and Technical High School, which is Bradley Tech now. And there are a number, you know, we were required to travel through all of the trades um, as part of our freshman year. And then sophomore year, you choose an area. And I know many, many of my classmates went on to become uh, plumbers, electricians, and now they own their own companies and, and just really doing great, great stuff. And so um, it's not just being a worker, like you said, there's entrepreneurship opportunities in it as well. So can you explain for our listeners some of the advantages to apprenticeship versus simply being a skilled, skilled in a trade, but without apprenticeship experience? Before I answer that question, go Trojans, because I'm a tech alum myself. Yes, Uh, (laughs) purple and white. That's right. (laughs) Um, There is an absolute advantage to that because, again, you have that credential behind your name. Um, You have, in, in, in some cases, you have a license that you get when you complete your apprenticeship. I hold a license myself. And because you're a licensed individual, you have that credential uh, that you completed a Wisconsin apprenticeship, you you can walk into different rooms. You mm-hmm. know, you can you can walk into different places and make bids on work because you have a credential that you went through an apprenticeship. You know, you can there's certain jobs that you can apply for that you have to show your credential mm-hmm. that you went through your apprenticeship and completed it. And, and, and that's, the, that's the big difference. The other thing is, like I said, there's that baseline of everything that you need to know to become a journey worker in your respective field. Right. Um, to say, hey, you know, I'm just good at this. I've been doing it this long. Well, you may not know or may not have been trained on this certain aspect of your career path. Whereas the apprenticeship, you must be trained on all of these aspects of your career path. And, and that's the large difference. Absolutely. So what's been the most rewarding um, aspect of your journey thus far? Uh, Right before I left my previous role at Milwaukee Area Technical College, I was out to dinner uh, with some some co-workers, kind of a going away dinner. And one of the people there said, hey, do you remember uh, you helped to put together an arborist pre-apprenticeship? I said, yeah, it's going really well. There was a lot of students that that pathwayed into the registered apprenticeship. 
Mm-hmm. And she said, well, one of them was my little cousin. He went through the program and now he works for a tree service company. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to be candid with you. He was on the wrong road. He was going in and out of jail and just his, his future was bleak. And she said, now he's, he's working for this company. He's in his apprenticeship. He's staying out of trouble. And that I, I cried at the table when I heard that, because, wow. you know, when, when you put together programs and put together uh, different apprentice, different apprenticeships and outreach um, sometimes you don't get to see the fruit mm-hmm, you, know, mm-hmm. you don't you don't get to see them now pathwaying into their job or pathwaying into employment but you know when she told me that 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 program helped to take a young man off the streets mm-hmm. and get on the right path that you know that that's what we do this for you know absolutely and and you know i i truly appreciate you and josh both carry the card as Josh would say in your pocket and you carry it proud. Um, and at the same time, look at where you guys are. You're still in this arena, but your experience is allowing you to be a poster child for apprenticeship to show others, especially, uh, individuals of color, what opportunities exist, but also be at the table to help with change. Um, in this space, change for the better and and show people what's possible. I truly believe anything is possible as long as you believe that it's possible and you guys become that beacon that people can see that you carry the card, but you also are in this space and others can see the possibility. So David, before I transition to Josh, can you tell the audience as a leader, what do you want your legacy to be? I want to leave a fingerprint on, uh, on apprenticeship stating that, you know, I, I help to expand apprenticeship. I help to expand outside of the rudimentary trades that you know and love. Uh, I help people of underrepresented communities that would not otherwise have ever known about apprenticeship, uh, that they, that they had the opportunity to go through apprenticeship. Um, I also, I also would like to, to expand um, within DWD mm-hmm. uh, apprenticeship and the possibilities of apprenticeship. Um, I want to increase uh, the, the areas of where I grew up. You know, I'm, I'm a Milwaukeean and, you know, I grew up off of 27th and Atkinson and I went to Bradley Tech. Well, I went to Milwaukee Tech, which is now Bradley Tech. But I want those individuals to know that um, there's somebody up here in Madison that is advocating for you. Somebody that wants you to follow the road that, that he did in getting into apprenticeship and, and con- expanding his career outwardly. Um, you know, that, that's the stamp that I would love to leave on, on the Bureau uh, under my tenure. And that's a good stamp to leave. Thank you, David. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit and come over to, to Joshua Johnson. So so tell us, Josh, you know, I, I have history with you because I, too, worked <laughs> for the Department of Workforce Development. I was the administrator for the Bureau of Workforce Training 
And so I got the opportunity to see you take the torch after Karen Morgan had been in the position for decades and to see, you know, that transition and, and that inspiration and that fire come over to the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards. And so you have a unique story for our audience as, and, and then you, you're the new role in this new role as the director for JFF Center for Apprenticeship and Work-Based Learning. You know, tell us about your unique story and then, you know, tell us about this new role because all of that came from a lot of the passion you was bringing, one would say, to this space of apprenticeship and uh, wanting to ensure, just as David mentioned about his legacy, that, you know, um, people can see the impossible become possible. Mm-hmm. So first of all, thank you all for having me on the podcast today. Uh, and then secondly, you know, Shy, when you said the, we're your two favorite apprenticeship men, I guess I see where I rank. I thought I ranked higher than uh, the number two, <laughs> uh, seeing as how we have history. But, you know, I, I get it. I see how it goes. Uh, but no, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. Uh, to have this conversation today. And, and, and you know, I, I tell every time I'm anywhere with David, uh, anywhere that I have the opportunity, I congratulate him on the opportunity he now has uh, to step in behind me uh, to really help expand apprenticeship. You know, so my unique story really is, you know, I found a niche and that niche is, you know, has taken me to an opportunity now with uh, Jobs for the Future JFF as a director in the Center for Apprenticeship and Work-Based Learning. And more specifically as the director of the Innovation Hub for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility in Register Apprenticeship. Now, it's always funny when you think about how I got there, because in 2005, I was a construction craft labor apprentice, and never in a million years would I have ever imagined, you know, all these years later, that I would be sitting in this role. And I, and I used to say that, and Shai said that to you before, was I never thought that one day my name was on the signature line as an apprentice on a contract, apprenticeship contract. And then next thing you know, my name is on there as a director of the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards. Uh, so for me, getting engaged with apprenticeship at that, at, at that time in 2005, I had no clue that I was carving out a career for myself. I really was just looking at something that I was be able to pay, pay my bills. Uh, as later on, as you talk about, you asked a question about my incarceration. I was shortly just released from incarceration you know, I just wanted to do something just to pay my bills and got involved with apprenticeship. Uh, it took me from, I built highways in Milwaukee then I ended up moving down to Chicago, built highways in Chicago, came back to Milwaukee and then left. Uh, ended up working in state government, which there's a couple questions here that I'll give a little more detail on that, but moved into, you know, worked in state government, then moved into apprenticeship uh, and matriculated into the role of bureau director uh, for uh, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Standards. And it was at that uh, opportunity when I was the director that my passion, as you spoke about, my passion uh, made me visible nationally uh, in a space that truly is niche. I mean, it just is, right? Apprenticeship, uh, apprenticeship, as I was taught, apprenticeship is a mile wide and a mile deep. There's so many things to learn uh, that it, it just takes time. And it's, it's an area that a lot of folks just don't understand how to make those connections. Uh, so I was able, I won't say I was able to master uh, master apprenticeship, but I was able to find opportunities in there to help expand and help grow apprenticeship, not only in the state of Wisconsin, but then look at strategies on how we can grow it outside of Wisconsin as well. And that's where I'm in the role now. And, and in that role as a director, we're under a cooperative agreement with USDOL, 
uh, to be the Diversity and Inclusion uh, Technical Assistance Center of Excellence. And that covers the whole country. We, we work with uh, employers, uh, sponsors, employers, and stakeholders all across the country. Yeah. And, you know, um, you, you speak about Nietzsche and, um, and I, our babies don't know what they don't know. People don't know what they don't know. And, and opportunities is, you know, people need to be exposed to different things to really find that niche. Because when you find it, it's natural and you good at it. And it doesn't even take a whole lot of effort because yeah. it's that thing that's bubbling on the inside of you. And, and it's just it, it, it keeps that fire burning. And so, you know, like I said, Josh, we've had many, many conversations. And so working at the state level, transitioning to the national level, um, working in various capacities, um, tell our audience how open are employers to working with individuals with varying backgrounds, skill sets, mm -hmm. and abilities? Because, um, you know, I asked the question of David, like, you know, does this create an opportunity for underrepresented populations, people who may not have the best of backgrounds? And then when we think about persons with disabilities and you've seen it at the state now at the national level, how open are employers, would you say, to folks who come into these apprenticeships as opportunity to learn? You know, I believe that employers are very open, but employers don't have the resources and tools they need to help support their decisions to engage and work with individuals, whether it's with criminal backgrounds, whether it's with underserved communities, whether it's individuals with disabilities. I believe that the employers don't have the, they haven't been intentionally exposed to the resources and tools. And that's what we're hoping to do with the Innovation Hub is to really help them start to see and make those connections. It's interesting, we have nine partners uh, that are part of, that I'm managing as part of this uh, cooperative agreement and one of them is the Institute for Community Inclusion out at the University of Massachusetts. So when we talk about with individuals with disabilities, we're working with them to look at products, national products with a, a diversity and, and accessibility lens, because we want to be able to provide to those employers and say, hey, do you, do you know what accessibility truly looks like? Most employers, right? I always take it back when I worked at uh, Division of Vocational Rehabilitation, the, the the sign that people thought about when they thought about someone with a disability, the first thing they thought about is what? When you pull into a parking lot, what do you see? You see a blue low square, you see somebody in a wheelchair. Everyone thinks that is the only disability there is if somebody is in a wheelchair. And what we have to do is we have to get employers to understand there are many types of different disabilities, but even more importantly, there are many types of uh, opportunities to create accessibility for individuals you know, such as a, a, a half-day schedule. You know, we, we could go on and kind of talk about that, uh, you know, really in depth because there are, it's so varying. But in the conversations that I've had with employers, they're ready and willing. In, when I was in the state, uh, they were ready and willing. Uh, they didn't have the connections. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to engage with those populations. That was something I, I, I really intentionally did uh, as a state director was to make sure that I hired diverse individuals into mm -hmm. my staff so that we could have those conversations with employers and have somebody on the staff as part of a regulatory agency that I could say, hey, can you connect with this employer and have this conversation? But I think it, it really does come down to employers just don't, they don't have the time to get those resources and tools. So we have to find a way to get them for, right. we have to find a way to provide them to them. And that's where partnership, collaboration yes. 
and all those things come into play because again, you know, employers, they don't know what they don't know when it comes down yep. to dealing with particular issues either. And so it is important. And that's where you got to have a meeting of the minds at the table um, from employers to the resources that are available in the community to address. Cause you're right. People think of disability in particular as people who have physical disabilities and not understanding disabilities are not just physical. They can be a multitude of things. Uh, Josh, you've shared on different platforms, your personal story of having mm-hmm. spent 10 years in prison and still turning out successful. How can employers create diverse and inclusive apprenticeships to bring on talent and best position themselves to compete locally, nationally, and even globally? But when we think about individuals who are being released from prison, uh, the one thing they lack is confidence. Uh, The other thing they lack is resources. And for employers, one of the things that we are, one of the conversations we're having with employers is there is an untapped talent pool of individuals who are ready and willing, but just need a chance. I think back to the time when I was in in Wisconsin as a state director, uh, I created a position, the apprenticeship navigator, which was in the Department of Corrections, where that individual was a touch point for any and every man and woman prior to their release if they wanted to get engaged with apprenticeship, as well as getting engaged with pre-apprenticeship while incarcerated. Mm -hmm. For employers, employers just need to get that access. Once again, right, we can always look back and say, well, employers don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. And in, in some instances, that's true. But in most instances, it really is. They just don't have the tools or the, those dots connected for them. And I think that's where apprenticeship really comes into play to give those employers a great opportunity to engage with individuals prior to release so that they can access the promise of apprenticeship. We, we look at the numbers and, and the numbers are, I mean, they're amazing. $70,000 just in Wisconsin after you finish an apprenticeship, average of $70,000 uh, that you're making in a career in doing something you enjoy. You know, so for employers, I, I always personally push and say, if you think about it from the standpoint that the employer who hired me, somebody made a comment and said, um, you know, I wouldn't hire an individual that had been to jail. And the project superintendent overheard that. And this is when I was sitting there and, and filling out my application. And he said, not me. If someone's desperate enough to steal, they're desperate enough to come to work every day to make money. And we need employers to adopt that, right? And understand, don't judge people based off what they've done in the past. Right. Look at who they are and what they bring to the table. At the same time, we also have to look at it and say, we know that our prisons are, are disproportionately filled with black and brown folks. So if individuals are already black and brown, and then they already have a conviction, some type of conviction, we're looking at them and we're saying, well, we don't know if they're really good for our workforce. But I would encourage employers to tap into that, bring them in. You never know who you will find. You never know what somebody needs. Somebody could have looked at me the exact same way and would not have given me an opportunity. And who knows where I would have been? Who knows what I would have done, how successful I could have turned out or where I, you know, mm-hmm. what path I would have took. So I encourage employers to really look at that and, and it's just a great way to diversify your workforce. I mean, individuals just need a, a second chance. And when we think about social justice, it's 2022, right? We think about employers who say they want to do good for their community. That's doing good for your community. Just think about it as an employer. If you hired somebody and you just, you potentially played a part in someone not becoming a victim of crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you really have to 
employers just really have to think about it from that perspective. Absolutely. And, and this whole notion of so- social justice is really, you know, helping to meet the needs of the individuals and that everyone has a fair shot at that, that there's, you know, equity for everyone. Um, you know, we've spent quite a bit of time talking about, you know, what employers can do. What can be done to make apprenticeship more attractive to parents and to students and to those job seekers that are out there? Um, you know, because those are the people that, you know, the parents are the ones that kind of guide the young people. <laughs> and some of what we've seen a lot of um, with this great uh, resignation is mm-hmm. a lot of people leaving their jobs and trying to figure out what to do. Um, and apprenticeship is that option just sitting right there for people. So what can we do, as David said, to make it more sexy <laughs> and appealing to parents, to the job seekers and to young people? It's a great question. And yeah, we do have to look at how to make apprenticeship more sexy and appealing. Uh, and, and I believe you know, one of the things I started uh, and that I continue in this role is that we have to educate parents about the opportunities that exist in those career pathways. But we, that takes us being very intentional and in looking at a, a, an occupation and saying, how do I build that occupation out so that there is some type of degree attainment tied to it? When we talk about a, a apprentices, when you're an apprenticeship, you don't go to college. Well, that's false. Right? They go to a technical college or they're getting some type of technical education when they are in the apprenticeship. One, one way for me was to look at and say, and David did this down in the Milwaukee area, uh, working with the IBEW, and they looked at how they could tie in uh, the associate's degree with the apprenticeship. And that was one way that I saw not all apprenticeships are going to be able to, they're not all going to be able to tie in certain type of degree attainment. But I want to make sure that as many as possible, because I feel like when you talk to a parent and many of us, and, 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 I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real frank and candid here because I can, right? All of us in our community, we look at our kids and the way we determine that they are successful and what we've been told to be successful in our community is we have to go to college. Mm-hmm. And without that, that's the great equalizer for the black community, right? Is, oh, you went to college, you went to college, you got your degree. Now you're on a level playing field. Well, now we've created a generation of folks who snub our noses at apprenticeship and think, oh, we have to go to college instead, rather than entering into the workforce and then going to college later on when you know exactly what you want to do so it can be more focused. So I think we have to get back to having those conversations with parents. Number one, about what their, their dreams and goals are for their child at the same time with their child. We saw that in Germany. And that you brought up Germany before. We went to Germany. In fourth grade, they meet with the, the teacher, the parent, the student, and the counselor. We wow. have to have those conversations up front. And, and sure, America, we're not going to do it in fourth grade, right? I would love to see it. But at the same time, we have to find an opportunity to have that conversation so that we can provide the proper information to those youth. As we talk about, Shai, in our community, you know, and I can be very frank about this, you know, we were taught that to the great equalizer for us was that we had to go to college and get a four-year degree. And I want to get back to having those conversations where we look at what's best for our child and understand that if they want to go to college, great. But if they want to enter into the workforce, then we should support them doing that as well. Because I think about a generation of black and brown youth out there that now they've had this, this expectation that they have to go to college. And one thing I did when I, when I was in Wisconsin was have those conversations 
and started to get people to look at it and say, we celebrate kids when they graduate high school and they go play sports. We celebrate kids when they graduate high school and go to the military. We celebrate kids when they graduate high school and go to college. But we don't celebrate them when they make a responsible decision to enter into the workforce. That is missing so much from what we need to do, not only you know, in, in, in our state of Wisconsin, but also across the country. That is a way that we start to rebound and we start to build those numbers in apprenticeship very fast. And we get individuals opportunities to find family sustaining careers directly out of high school. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, the education of parents, because parents don't yes. know that the, the types of um, salaries that an individual can make in the apprenticeship program. And when you think about student loan debt and let I not say a word because it is <laughs> off the chart, um, you know, just to get to where I am going to school and needing to fund it myself, um, understanding apprenticeship is a way that you don't have to incur all of that debt and still make right. the money that you went to college to position yourself to make, if not make more. You know, it's, uh, I, I was going to say, Shai, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, I live, I, born and raised in Milwaukee, but we bought a house in Germantown. Talked to the Germantown superintendent. And during ACT days, 11th and 12th graders take the ACT. 9th and 10th graders, they set up a, a tour of the manufacturing plants around Germantown High School. Now, I will tell you, uh, from my days as state director in Wisconsin, Germantown, those some of those are some of our strongest manufacturing apprenticeship programs uh, in the area. Right. And the day of, they, they set the field trip up, the day of the field trip, 60% of the parents called off and said, my kid's sick or they don't need to go on this field trip because they're going to college. So it's wow. this, not, this, this notion that, well, they're not going to work in a manufacturing plant. And it's like, what do you mean a manufacturing? You don't even know what they do. There's people over there with federal, they have federal projects, right? That have security clearance that, none of us have and they're there and they're building things and folks don't even understand that so it's it, to your point shy when folks they don't want to think about the opportunities that truly exist or the debt that is incurred by that student by entering into a four-year college when they really just want to go to work they want to go and do something with their hands right and david mentioned um you know in the chat that you know, um, if a person's desire is to go to college, you can still do that. Yep. And in many instances, depending on what you're going to college for, the employer would would pick up the cost. And so that's another part that parents yes. don't know, as well as the individuals themselves, is understanding that your education could be funded through your <laughs> employer. Um, and many, many people, they don't understand that even professionals who work in this space and oftentimes many who promote apprenticeship do not know the ins and outs of, of the benefit of right. apprenticeship. So real quickly, um, you know, what's the big, biggest misconception, Josh, that people have about apprenticeships that you've encountered? Ooh, that's a whole podcast in itself right there. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so I, you know, number one definitely is uh, when we think about from the employer side, the number one misconception is that I have to be, a, my, my, my company has to be a part of a union to be, to have an apprenticeship program, right? That's the, that's the number one misconception among employers. Among people, the number one misconception that folks have is uh, that apprenticeship is just construction and manufacturing. 
That's it. They don't think of it as being in the financial service professional. They don't think about it being in IT. They don't think about being in healthcare. You know, so those two things, and, and, and when you see them, when you see that employers have misconceptions, and I want to tell you, I thought that was just a Wisconsin thing. It's not. I have conversations weekly with companies from across the country who I thought know what apprenticeship is, and they don't, they just don't understand those core tenets. So we have to continue to work to educate employers to say, hey, this is what apprenticeship looks like. You don't have to be a construction company. You don't have to be manufacturing. But we also have to get people to understand that as well. Because when you talk about apprenticeship, that's the first thing people say, right? And, and I'm going to be honest. And Shai, we talked about this. Like, mm-hmm. I outlawed the word trades in Wisconsin. I stopped, <laughs> I, I stopped saying trades because that's, that's all folks think about. Right. So we just have to get back to having that conversation that apprenticeship is just a, I feel, it is the, the, it's the gold standard. It's the best workforce development tool in the workforce tool belt uh, to develop your incumbent as well as your new workers. Mm-hmm. But we have to get to that notion that apprenticeship is, is and it's not a, a program, so to speak. It's not this program. It is a structure of a person getting trained. And to David's point, as he talked about, an individual, once they go through that training, they have that credential but they also have this national standard that they were trained right. under. And that's what we have to get to is that it, it, any industry can utilize apprenticeship uh, to grow their, to grow their workforce, whether it's incumbent or bring in uh, new folks and they can use apprenticeship to retain their workforce as well. Yeah. And you know, you guys have, have brought up a number of key themes. We've talked about pathways um, and, and that's huge because um, we don't all like, our professional pathways is not a straight line. There's onboarding in certain regards, life happens, you off board, you know, you do what you got to do, but there's always a way to come back and people need to understand um, the credentials help you to upskill to the next thing, to upskill mm-hmm. to the next thing. And it better positions you each and every time, you know, you move up on that ladder and the ladder is movable. And that's where a lot of times people who live in poverty don't understand that you don't have to be at that entry level job. There is opportunity for you to move up and and to move up. And then again, just in the fruitful conversation that I've had with the two of you, I continue to say, and y'all going to pay me for this. I believe in the power of apprenticeship because I do believe in the power. That's the tagline. I'm telling you now, I believe in the power of apprenticeship, but Josh, apprenticeship has truly been a passion of yours. Like you live on the moment to pitch apprenticeship. And so (laughs) as a leader in this space, now at the national level, what do you want your legacy to be? What people you want people to say about you in this space of apprenticeship? That is a, a fantastic question. And, you know, David hit a little bit on the legacy uh, I share that same thing, which is, you know, I, I want my legacy to be someone who uh, was able to look at apprenticeship as much more than just a tool to train individuals. I want, I want to make apprenticeship, uh, I want folks to look at apprenticeship as a tool to eradicate poverty. You know, I always say that there's, a registered apprenticeship has no rival in this country. And what I mean by that is, there's no other workforce program that you can walk into with zero skill and walk out skilled in that occupation, 
making a decent wage, making a family sustained wage and on a pathway uh, to a better life. To me, that in and of itself uh, creates opportunity for the American dream. We use the promise of apprenticeship to create the opportunity for American dream. So when I left Wisconsin, uh, my, my legacy in Wisconsin was that I wanted to go back into my community, into Milwaukee and other surrounding areas, and to be able to expose individuals in the community to the promise of apprenticeship and the opportunities that exist by getting engaged. And now I've taken that same mentality nationally, which is now, not only do I want to go into our communities and to, into the underserved communities and help them see uh, or help make those access points visible to the promise of apprenticeship, I also want to help employers to see the access points to the untapped talent that is out there. So for me, leaving and leaving a system that people, people look at the national system and they'll say, you know, they have this to say about that to say about it. I look at the national system and I look at an opportunity to really change how this country operates in training its workforce, in creating partnerships with workforce boards, with CB, other CBOs, you know, with educational systems. I want to be uh, the, I want to be looked at as one of the folks who actually came in and broke down the silos that apprenticeship existed in. And, and I did that in, in Wisconsin, uh, as you saw, Shai, by, mm -hmm. by just injecting life into saying, we need to be in these conversations. Apprenticeship is not by itself. Apprenticeship is a part of the workforce. And it's just another tool in the toolbox, a really good tool, but it's another tool in the toolbox. So if, if, if anything, my lasting legacy, I want that to be is an individual who has come into this system, who was a part of this system, who used apprenticeship to, as a pathway, as, as a part of my career pathway uh, to leave that legacy behind uh, would, mean, would, would, would mean so much to me. Thank you, Josh. You know, you guys, David and Josh, I want to just thank you for sharing your insights, your journey with us today. Um, I truly impress upon people to do their research, to look into something. Don't let just somebody tell you, look into it for yourself. Find the information for yourself because my need may not be your need. Um, and therefore you have to find that thing that speaks for you and, and to educate yourself. Don't just make assumptions about what is educate yourself on what it actually is. It's been a pleasure to have both of you on the show today. Like I said, my two favorite guys and Josh, you know, knock against you, <laughs> my two favorite guys in this apprenticeship space. Um, are there any, uh, parting words that, uh, you want to leave our listeners, David, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to see if there's anything you want to wrap up with today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I actually, I talked to Josh previously about this is uh, I consider apprenticeship uh, a secondary education option. Mm -hmm. it, it's up there with going to technical college, going to four-year college. It's a secondary education op option. And for those that are looking to pursue apprenticeship, definitely look up the Office of Apprenticeship at DWD, uh, but also consider apprenticeship your launch pad. Mm -hmm. That's what apprenticeship was for me. Uh, obviously, that's what it was for, for, for Josh Johnson. It was a launch pad for us for the rest of our careers and the rest of our lives. And, and you know, as I stated in the chat, you know, employers are at this point willing to invest in their workforce. If they see someone who is talented, 
and passionate, they'll not only pay for your apprenticeship, they'll pay for your college degree. Mm-hmm. So utilize the apprenticeship as the launch pad for your future. If I can leave anything with the listeners, it, it is a launch pad to definitely consider. And I concur. Josh, any parting words you want to leave with our listeners? Yeah, just piggybacking off of what Davis said, you know, uh, apprenticeship, it doesn't have to be the end all be all. Apprenticeship is just a part of everyone's career pathway. There are many people who have served apprenticeships across this country and have moved on uh, to other careers or other areas, or they've used that, as Davis said, as a launch pad. You know, I want to impress upon your listeners, uh, whether they are employers or individuals who are just seeking to have a career change or looking for opportunity, uh, look at apprenticeship. Take a long, hard look at it, no matter where you live, uh, no matter what state, no matter what city you live in, take a long, hard look at it and see who's out there and see what opportunities exist. And for employers, you know, I want to throw out there, I want to throw a plug in. We have an event coming up uh, May 4th and 5th. Uh, JFF is hosting our first annual virtual uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility summit. And I, and I want to encourage any employers uh, to come join that, that summit. And there's an exclusive employer forum on the first day that we're going to have some real serious conversation about how, how and what we can do, how, why is DEIA important? And then secondly, and to me, what's the most important is how we can start to do it within our companies and how we can help support that at JFF. Uh, but, you know, my lasting words, you know, uh, these are the great words. I always use these uh, from the great Karen Morgan. You know, there are wood ships and good ships and ships that sail the sea. But the best ships are apprenticeships. And may they always be. And that's what Thank I'm talking shot. about. Good old Karen. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Again, I appreciate you. I love the work that you guys are doing at both the state and the national level. And just keep doing you and keep spreading that word. And like I said, I'm telling y'all now, get the tagline. I believe in the power of apprenticeship. <laughs> Thank you again. I appreciate you. I'm Thank calling you my agent right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee, where helping people live their best life is our business. Be sure to like, share, or subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employ Milwaukee, check out our website at www.employmilwaukee.org. That's www.employmilwaukee.org. Until next time, be safe, be brilliant, and give it your all.